Yeah. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's Friday morning. And was that rain that I saw yesterday falling out of the sky to mitigate some of the temperatures that we've been experiencing? Thank you so much for tuning in this morning at WMNF. My name is Mario Nunez, and I'm alongside my broadcast partner who's not here today, but we're going to give him a shout-out just Always. the same. Yes, he is. He's right there in spirit. John Dingfelder, I know you're listening, and we're thinking about you and Lynn as well. <clears throat> Across the mic right there. Across the t- I can see you like Kilroy I can see was you. here. Well, I'm, I'm hiding. I'm I, hiding it, it behind. It is incredible. Them. If you're in the studio with us, you can see that there's a little bit of angles and angulations that we have to be preoccupied <laughs> with. Jason Marlowe, he's, uh, he's at the mic today. The dulcet tones. <clears throat> the dulcet tones. And I've got this little thing in my throat that I'm going to get out of here before too much longer. Joining us in studio in just a couple of minutes will be Alfred Goldberg. Does that name sound familiar to you? No, you might say. Well... Prepare thyself. We're going to introduce you to Alfred Goldberg today. Those of you that do know him would like to join us in our conversation. Irene, thank you so much. She's answering the phones for us today. Standing by, you can always call us at 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org or text us because, you know... That's what people do these days. All the hip young kids are doing these days. I know. And some hip oldsters, too. 813-433-0885. Operators are standing by, and by that I mean me. I'll be, I'll be checking the board to make sure that we don't miss your email or your text message. So, Jace, uh, how was your last week? How did things go for you? These busy, Fridays busy, are rolling busy. at us. Yeah. Oh, man, it's been a whirlwind. <clears throat> They're coming at us hot and heavy, huh? Yeah. Well, then temperature... And in literally stuff. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you, you do the hokey pokey, you turn yourself around, we, we bask in the afterglow of another sh- good show on Friday, Ooh. Saturday morning comes, and, and, and then Sunday, the weekend's over, back, back on the horse, and before you know it, here we are doing another show on Friday. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you, partner. Hey, beyond the, 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 the heaviness of the week and, and its busy schedule, what got stuck in your crawl this week? So uh, I'll tell you one of the things that uh, I have been ruminating on. Obviously, we've been mentioning for a couple of weeks now the insane heat. Uh, the city of Tampa wisely had some cooling stations established. I think that's a wonderful thing. They put up three cooling places to help folks who are not housed as a place to cool off. Problem is, city comms, un, you know, very characteristically in my appreciation of city communications, did a pretty poor job. And over the course of six days, these three centers only saw 190 people. And that's basically a matter of they didn't have any communication. I'll just read this brief quote. June Brown, the homeless liaison for the Tampa Down to Par- Downtown Partnership, a nonprofit that manages the district through an agreement with the city, said that she wasn't aware of the service. Quote, they have what? She said when oh told by a Times reporter as she handed out water and food Tuesday. And then, like, that tells me, like, while it's a wonderful effort, you know, the tree that falls in a forest and no one hears it doesn't, doesn't make, a, make sound. a sound. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, why couldn't they use a service like perhaps WMNF.org to uh, 88.5, your community radio station, to disseminate that information? Well, if it's ongoing, and I believe it is, consider this your PSA, public service announcement. We want everybody to know. And, and Jason, do you have the names of the centers? Is that too much of a uh, I believe of an ask? they are no longer operating. So it was just for that week. I believe it was just for that week. But when <clears throat> I can pull that up and I'll circle back to it later so we can make sure we have those locations. Wonderful. It stays hot. It, it does, and it will be again. I, I'm hoping that the fever has broken and that we'll start to get those afternoon showers. We're, we talk about it each week. We have been talking about it each week. We're down about 15 inches in 
and rainfall. Seven, it was 17 up until the, just a few days ago, which is terrifying. And, and if things like this don't scare you, uh, you know, out of your wits, and, and here's what stuck in my craw this week, and, and it's happened over the last 48 hours, is the predatory land grab that's taking place now in Lahaina and Maui. As people are desperate and destitute and looking for resources, you've got people that are coming in and swooping in and making offers on homes. I mean, this is, it's egregious, it's horrible, it's heartbreaking. And if you've seen the images coming back from uh, Maui, it, it just takes your breath away. But beyond that, how, how insensitive and, and, and just how criminal people can be in their behavior when they want to take advantage of you. Uh, at, at the worst of times. But again, that's part of the human experience. I think we found that out over time. What else you got, my young friend? So I will say just really quickly, uh, to answer your question, I don't think those centers are still open, but they were. The David M. Barksdale Center on Lincoln Ave, the Cascaden Park on 15th Street, and the Cordelia Bee Hunt Community Center at Al Lopez on Himes. But the second one, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to sandwich you. I'm going to hit you with two. Got it. Because I can't not acknowledge something that I've been griping about since we started our show, which has been the movement to try to get nine or seven single-member county commission districts. It failed. Beat that drum. Thankfully... That's a hand drum. We're doing it seriously for real. <laughs> Thrilled to see uh, Commissioner Owen's motion fail this Wednesday to try to suggest uh, at, at tremendous cost, we're talking in millions of dollars, a potential redistricting of this county after we literally just did it a year ago through very contentious political means. I was happy to see that fail. And I'll sort of segue into my third one, which is that somehow it has been a year now of Susie Lopez basically being you know, uh, installed by a fascist to replace our democratically elected uh, you know, state attorney Andrew Warren, who deserves his job back, and I hope he runs again. So, I mean, we're, it's, Excellent we're, we're, we're supposed to get all together. Excellent points. That's a nice mashup. I will say that, uh, you know, you beat the drum every week as well. Our governor, shall I do it again? Yeah, I think beat, so. Why not? That's why not? Low hanging, he's an easy target. It's low-hanging fruit, and I think that everybody needs to be aware that he's being derelict in his duties here in the state of Florida, and we've got a lot of problems here, and his um, his campaign is failing miserably. He's he's flailing. I, I you know I've, I'm already trying to make plans for the first debate because I think it's going to be must watch TV, um, and I just I just want it to be over for him. So that way we can go on with the business of Florida because Florida has a lot of problems, most notably what he's doing now to our teachers, which have just gone back into the classroom. I mean, he's faded behind Christie in New Hampshire. He's behind Vivek Ramaswamy, the lose yourself guy in some polls. He's in some polls down by as many as 37%. How many times can you push a reset button? I, I don't mean, know. It's just, it's very funny to me that it's like, this is a guy who has no conceptualization of retail politics. He doesn't know how to talk to people because he doesn't, he doesn't like people. Yeah. He and, doesn't and like, just, people. It's, that's obvious. It's just, it, it's very enjoyable to watch this man flail about. The problem is it's our taxpayer dollars that are subsidizing his security. And it's our state that suffers because of his ineptitude and in, unavailability. Amen. I, I, all good points. I won't even try to accentuate any of that because you wrapped it up in a nice bow for us. So today in studio joining us, dear friend of mine, dear friend of Tampa, a fellow Tampeño, gentleman by the name of Alfred Goldberg. And Alfred, your microphone is on if you want to say hello to everybody. Good morning, everyone. There he is. Mm, that's there he is. That's, that's, that sounds good, right? Good morning, good. everyone. And, and you can't see us because, of course, it's, it's, the it's radio. radio. But uh, Alfredo came in this morning groomed, 
quaffed, save for uh, an the, extra twirl in yes, the mustache. Yes, a little like bit of extra wax in that bad boy. Like you're going to tie somebody to railroad tracks. So, okay. so, so is it nightly whiplash style? Is it a difficult? Is it a difficult fix? I mean, you you got to what two t- uh, twice a month? You got to get there to the barber, let him kind of trim that out for you. I actually take care of everything uh, in house, beard wise, myself. Really, um, in house beard care. Yeah, nice. YouTube does wonders. You learn how to do anything: fix a car, fix a beard, fix a washing machine. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Fixing a beard. So now, now we've got everybody curious as to what what is that beard look like? It's fierce. We'll take some pictures and post them on social media later. <laughs> Alfredo, thank you for joining us today in studio. <clears throat> Let's start off with um, just kind of introducing yourself, your age, where you went to high school, uh, you know, the things you've done in Tampa to lead you to become Alfred Goldberg. So I'm a uh, third-generation Tampeño. I am 46 years old. Uh, I'm a graduate of Jesuit High School. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Uh, graduate of University of South Florida and a uh, lifelong resident. Very good. And um, rumor has it, rumor has it, that there's another fella running around these parts or in maybe in another state that might look a little like you. Want to uh, give him a shout-out? Yes, I have a identical twin brother, uh, Stephen Goldberg, who uh, has relocated to Texas. Um, I guess uh, Florida could have two of us here, so we, we split up. <laughs> well, you know, and I don't know about you, Jace, but I always kind of wanted to. I mean, I, I had these delusions of, of all the mischief and all the fun things you could do with a twin brother. And <laughs> at least you'd always have somebody to, you know, play catch with, somebody to run routes with, you know, somebody to play sports with. And I know I know this is a foreign territory to you, Alfred, because oh, we know each other well. <laughs> we know each other well enough that sometimes the sports analogies are lost on my dear friend. But I just, uh, I always thought that it would be kind of a goof. You know, the things you can get away with with your teachers and whatnot. Uh, Florida could have support two Alfred Goldbergs. We certainly could have had two Mario Nunes. That would be uh, one too many. No, that would be way one too many. So uh, mom and dad uh, here in Tampa, you're born here, Tampa General Hospital? Uh, St. Women's Hospital that's now St. Joseph's. There you go, right there on, uh, on Martin Luther King. That's correct. On this Buffalo Avenue. So let's, let's pick it up with... Um, Presently, what you're what you're doing in the community, you, well, you wear a lot of hats, and you wore a hat, and that's another thing about Alfred that people need to know. Besides his fierce beard, he is a bit of a mad hatter. If you see him around town, he's got some pretty snazzy hats that he likes to wear. Yeah, there's there's people who won't recognize me without a hat, and uh, was it a conscious uh, thing to start wearing the hats? But uh, you know, over the years, I've got at least 60 hats, and I'm about to pick up a couple berets before so I, I head to France. This show the is historically is a pro-beret show. 100%. And we, down and Dirty, historically, going back to the very, very first and origins of this show, That's right. we're exceptionally pro-beret. And it doesn't have to be a green beret. It can basically be any color of beret. It can That's be right. French. It can be a Kangol. It can it, be Bosque. You could be Samuel Jackson. I would consider a Kangol a That's beret. Right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, we, 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 we're very pro-beret in this audience. Nice and Look at what we've established here in just our first three months <laughs> yep. of being on we're, the air. We're the beret. We're Team Beret. All right. So we All may right. have to come up with a, a fancy type of beret <laughs> with a specific color just to denote who we are. So, Alfred, presently you are involved in a couple of organizations. Maybe we start with the Tampa Sister Cities. I'm currently president of Tampa Sister Cities. A lot of people are not familiar that we have a active Sister Cities program. Um, but we have had an active Sister City program since its uh, in, uh, initial um, establishment in 1967. Uh, we 
currently have 12 sister cities around the world. And uh, one thing I've done as president is uncover a lot of the history behind the organization. And uh, it's a very fascinating uh, history because it really was very much in the early days a gateway for Tampa. That was still a fairly small city back then to establish international ties. A lot has changed in uh, the many decades since then, but uh, it's still a very active organization. And uh, we have at least one or two events every month, whether it's an inbound mission from one of our sister cities or uh, occasionally an outbound one. Recently, you had the Queen of Barranquilla here, Colombia, the, correct? The, the Queen of Carnival from the Barranquilla. Queen of Carnival. Um, this was the second time we had a queen visit. Uh, to become queen of Carnival, Carnival in Barranquilla, if you're not familiar, is the second largest carnival in the world, second only to Rio de Janeiro. Uh, so it's a pretty big deal. Uh, if you become queen of Carnival in Barranquilla, you become a celebrity throughout Latin America, not not just in Colombia, not just in Barranquilla. Um, Barranquilla is a, a very interesting place. Uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is from Barranquilla. Hmm. Uh, Shakira. Uh, they they like huh. to say there's something in the, the water. They say that those hips don't lie. They, they, they never have. Never I mean, I was to told very specifically <laughs> that like they're like George Washington. They are. They're always telling, telling the, truth. the truth, baby. That's what they say. Um, there's definitely uh, a lot of creativity in the city and a lot of commonality between Tampa and Barranquilla. But to get the queen to visit Tampa is a, is a significant achievement. And uh, we, perform, we have her do a little performance to share the, the cultural uh, aspects of the role. Because to become queen, you have to master all of the cultural folk dances of Barranquilla, which is a, it's, it's in the Caribbean. It's, it's on the, the coast. So it's a little different than other parts of Colombia that has a, a very deep African history to it. And the dances, uh, if you go anywhere in the Caribbean, the dances of Barranquilla would look very familiar to you. They reflect all of that that history and Tampa's no longer a flyover on the way to Miami. We are now a city on the international scene, and um, and there are other cities beyond Barranquilla, Colombia. There's um, there's we have China, we have Brazil is in the mix, France, Spain. So there there's some and and of course Sicily. There are some strong strong ties, familial ties that go back generations. Yeah, most of the city uh, sister city relationships are established based off community demand that we have enough people in the community that feel some sort of affinity to the city to ask for it to become a sister city. So as as most of the listeners probably know, uh, Agrigento was uh, the area in which many of the Sicilians uh, came to Ybor City. Oviedo, Spain would be another example. Um, and then we have some that just came out of community interest, uh, such as... What's that? Porto Alegre. Porto Alegre, Brazil. Uh, Ashdod, Israel. Uh, Herculean oh, Crete in Greece. Um, La Havre in France. La Havre in France is a... Just celebrated the 30th anniversary. And uh, Mayor Jane Castor and a group is actually going, including myself, will be journeying to La Havre in the uh, first week of October. And when you make these trips, they're, they're sort of, uh, they're like official delegations that go. There's There are exchanges of proclamations. I mean, the mayor is traveling. So 
these representing our, our she's representing our city. I mean, in in you yes. know every way. So when you have a formal delegation that includes the mayor, it's a little more business oriented than if you have just a regular sister city trip. A regular sister city trip tends to be more tourist in nature, mm-hmm. whereas the moment you have the mayor going. It changes everything. You start recruiting leaders of the University of South Florida, for example, or the Tampa Museum of Art, and the agenda is well put together to establish ties. So, for example, the Port of Tampa, uh, Port Tampa Bay, has a sister port agreement with the Puerto Rio Magdalena in in Barranquilla. Um, so we see actual enhancements of trade as well as uh, educational exchange, academic um, research done jointly between the universities. So it's it's definitely not sightseeing. I can tell you when we were in Ashdod, Israel with uh, Mayor Buckhorn many years ago, uh, I remember one of the newspapers wrote about it as if it was a tourist um, a junket. Yeah. A junket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we received that news, we were at the Jerusalem City dump looking at how they handled recycling. And uh, the dumps in Jerusalem smell very much like the dumps in Hillsborough County. Mm-hmm. So it definitely was not a tourist destination. If you're just joining us now, you've just found us on your radio dial at 88.5. You're listening to Down and Dirty. Our guest today is Alfred Goldberg. We're discussing a little bit about Tampa Sister Cities, an organization of some merit and some history. It's not just uh, uh, here in Tampa. This is an international organization that is all over the world and certainly in other cities in the United States. This is WMNF Community Radio 88.5. Um, Alfred, talk to us a little bit about the students that are coming here from, I believe it is, Barranquilla to uh, to study at USF. This is actually uh, our next upcoming event. Um, the Universidad del Norte in Barranquilla has had a very long relationship with the University of South Florida. And every year, between 30 to 50 students from Barranquilla transfer to the University of South Florida, either for graduate studies or to complete undergrad. Uh, one thing that we've heard from some of the past uh, students who, who transferred was that although they had a wonderful orientation to the university, they received no orientation to Tampa. And we thought that was something missing because many of these students stay here, but even the ones who return home, we want them to become champions of the relationship between Tampa and Barranquilla. So we've organized a tour, uh, including Ybor City, downtown, the Riverwalk, Armature Works, the new Water Water Street District, uh, to really acclimate these students to life in Tampa. And that's going to be occurring uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. And can people participate in this? Is this a, a, something they can attend? If you uh, go to the Tampa Sister Cities website, which is tampasistercities.org, uh, you will see the event. And if you are willing to provide your own transportation, it's free to show up and greet these students and, and meet them. Fantastic. And and these kids will be here. I say kids, young adults. They'll be here for the next three, four years while they're completing their education. So this is a fine welcome to our fine city, correct? I, I believe so. I believe that uh, we've got uh, the right tour guides in each of our different stops to really share our rich history to these students. And that's one of the, just one shining example of what Sister Cities does 
for the city of Tampa as it represents us abroad. Again, if you'd like to call us and get in on this conversation, 813-239-9663, dj at wmnf.org. If you'd like to send us an email, text us at 813-433-0885. We do have someone who's been waiting to talk to you, Alfred, or maybe talk to me, or maybe talk to Jason. Let's see Ooh, who's people on the talk line. to me. <laughs> so special. Franco, you're on the air. Tell us where you're calling from. I'm calling from St. Pete, and my name is Franco. I, I do a show there on Wednesday, and I was just... Oh, Franco Silva. Hey, Franco. Yeah, that's right. Of course. If, uh, if Tampa and uh, Havana are sister cities... What a great, great question. I was going to get around to that, but thank you for bringing that up. It needs to be, if, if not already. Care to address that, Alfred? Uh, that's that's a question that has come up uh, many times over the years because of the rich history between Tampa and Cuba, whether or not that made sense. And in order to have a sister city established, the highest level executive in the municipality has to sign off on it. And in my time, that was Mayor Buckhorn and now Mayor Castor. And we've never seen a, a lot of political will about establishing such an agreement, whereas there are members of the community themselves who are, are divided on the issue. I personally went to, to Havana with the Greater Tampa Chamber during the, um, the thawing, uh, so to speak, uh, under President Obama. And I thought that there was a lot of rich opportunity to create people-to-people -people exchange. Because that's one of the key components of sister cities. When it was uh, established by President Eisenhower in 1956, the purpose was citizen diplomacy. Uh, the theory was wars and conflict were created by politicians, and the more citizens had relations with each other, the more they'd be able to keep the politicians in check and say, you know, that's not true about those people. Why, why would you say that? We're not going to fight them. Um, and so politics should not play, play a factor in whether or not a, a uh, city should become sister cities. But things being what they are and needing the the executive to sign off on it, that's just not one that, that I've seen come to fruition. And Franco, before um, we let you go, please take a moment and tell everybody when they can listen to you on WMNF radio. Oop. He must have dropped off the year. Franco, we miss you. Wednesday, Franco <laughs> Silva. All that and a bag of salty platanito chips. So um, continuing with that theme of Cuba, uh, is there something we could do? Is it, is, it community, is it community outreach? Is it something that we need to do as a community to appeal to our city leaders to say, can we discover this? Uh, you know, can we take the ball further down the field? Any community can request a sister city. Mm -hmm. um, so if there's a, enough members of the community who come together and make a request, uh, we will vet the request and then share that with, with City Hall to make a final decision. It seems like low-hanging fruit there again because it seems like the, the, the ties have gone back so far, certainly to before anything in the late 50s or early 60s. And, and an argument could be made that, you know, how much longer? How much longer? And maybe, just maybe, if there's enough political will and we start it, you know, at the person-to-person -person level, that's maybe where you can then, you know, change things, so to speak, politically. Uh, Alfred, you, you also own a business here in, in Tampa. Want to want to tell us the name of the business? Uh, sure, Absolute Marketing Solutions is our 23-year-old marketing agency. Uh, 
being so well connected in the community, we've had the pleasure of working with a lot of our local institutions from Zoo Tampa to the Florida Holocaust Museum, um, Mosey, uh, some of the better known restaurant chains, whether it was Taco Bus or Fresh Kitchen. Don't forget Alessi. Uh, obviously, our, <laughs> our, our beloved Alessi Bakeries, which is celebrating 111 Isn't years that special? this year. That is incredible. Um, that's a lot of cannolis. That's that, that a lot of scachata. That's what I was about to say. Scachata, yeah. And if you haven't had scachata, for those of you that are new to the area, maybe new to WMNF. Yeah, you need to go try some. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead and get yourself a little bit of that scachata. And you can have it cold, okay? I know some people think that's blasphemy, but it's no, just as good what? coming out of that fridge. Is that fridge. a real thing? People think it's blasphemy. Uh, I don't it's, think so. Maybe I'm, I overstepped. But yeah, I tell you funny. what, it's delicious either way. I think it's wonderful yeah, cold. It is. Yeah, it should be. For breakfast. Room temperature or cold. Uh, funny enough, growing up, every birthday had scachata. I think Mario would agree with that yeah. and you as well, Jason. Yeah, you, yeah. your birthday so, wasn't happening if you didn't have a few that, trays. Exactly. And when my son turned, I believe it was maybe his fourth or fifth birthday, I brought in several big trays of scachata. And at the end of the party, it was almost untouched. <gasps> and... I asked the guest, and they said, oh, it was cold, so we didn't eat it. We thought it had been sitting there a while. Uh, so that, that told me that uh, most of our guests were not tampanos. Yeah, we're not tampanos, number one. Number two, maybe you needed to have a little tutorial beforehand to go, hey, guys, mm -hmm. listen. It's, it sits in the box there at the bakery, typically at room temperature. Of course, it's cooked. So. It's made fresh daily. And it's so made fresh, so absolutely good. fresh daily. One box can serve as a whole lunch. So... As we're describing it, people are going, what is scachata? Um, you can Google it, right? Spell it any way you want. It'll, <laughs> it'll come up, I That's, promise you. I think you. a lot harder I, than it, you think it is. It is a lot harder. And But describe it to us. Alfred, it's, describe it's, it to it's us. similar to a tomato pie, but it's not quite a tomato pie. It's, uh, it's a Sicilian pizza. It's a, a particular type of bread with cheese and a, a meat sauce on it. Um, Usually cut in squares. Usually cut in squares. Uh, Alessi used to have three different types, and they were three colors that made the Italian flag. There was the traditional scacciata, which has a red color. There was one with a pesto sauce that was green, green. and then there was one with more cheese on it that was white. And uh, back in the days of Phil Alessi Sr., they would have all three available. But Taste being what they are, most people went to the tomato. classic red Bro, tomato bring back base. back the pesto. Yeah, like, right? No, like how do we start this position? And I like that visual too because it looks, you know, you can see when you walk into the it's bakery. Fresh. Yeah, it's fresh. It looks vibrant. great. It's herbaceous. <laughs> it's pesto. I don't. There it is. That wasn't, you better write that down. Jason. I love pesto. You better write that down. I'm, I'm speaking, I speak on behalf of my fellow pesto lovers. <laughs> it's quite possible you can uh, order it in advance and they will, will make it for you All still. Right. Don't want to get in trouble don't, making don't promises. But so so as we as we round the corner and talk a little bit about this uh, at Tampa, your association, your affiliation with all things absolute marketing, which you you kind of maintain. You you run websites. That's kind of what information technologies is the area. Did you did you study that at school? I actually studied economics with a minor in history. Okay. So. Uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of people do consider me a, a marketing guru. I did teach uh, at the college level for a number of years, um, but it was not my focus. But I do believe studying economics and history gave me a good understanding of consumer behavior and just people in general. And I think to be successful in marketing, you really do have to understand. Got to know people. how to read those tea leaves, man. Exactly. You got to know what's you know which way the wind is kind of starting to blow, and 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 be a little bit forward thinking, right? 
what's coming. That's, you know, what's happened back here might not be where you want to be looking. You, you have to take a risk. A story I tell a lot, and Mario's visited my office in the past, so he remembers I have a life-size statue of uh, Ziggy Stardust and uh, David Bowie. Um, it's actually a mannequin that we had painted to be Ziggy Stardust. And who, who dresses immaculately, by the way, and, and he dresses seasonally by whatever's coming around. Yep. Um, and the reason is, especially with my younger employees who really have no idea who Ziggy Stardust is or pretty much any of my, my music references, uh, I have to explain that David Bowie came at the end of the British invasion. And he was conscious that he could be seen as just one more British singer trying to make it in, in the the more of a global space in the U.S. specifically. So he came up with the concept of Ziggy Stardust, and nobody had seen anything like it. It was a huge risk. He was neither male nor female. He wasn't even from our planet. Uh, he was from Mars. He had the band The Spiders from Mars, and it, it was a huge success. Nobody had seen anything like it. And I want all my employees to take that to heart, that the marketing that is often the most successful and most memorable is the one that goes so far outside that it, it creates a new category for itself. No right. one has seen it before, but that requires taking risk. And being able to convince your clients to take a risk is it's not the easiest thing to do. Become that purple cow, Ziggy Stardust. Do we have anything mm-hmm. by Ziggy Stardust? Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to major tones. Seven, six. Now you have a better idea who Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> That's for Gen Z. There you go. So uh, you know we 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 want to talk a little bit about uh, your family because you mentioned your son. You mentioned Scachata at the party that that was just left there because people didn't quite have an understanding of what to do with it. Because if they had, full disclosure, there's none left. Because the minute you, I mean, kids would, in my group, were setting records trying to, maybe it was just me, trying to consume as much cachata as you could at a party until you got sick and then you had to go home with a bellyache. It was that good. So tell us about your family. Uh, So I have two boys, 10 and 11. Um, Shout out to... And uh, shout out to them, Ignacio and Sergio. There it is, Ignacio and Serge. Uh, and my uh, my wife, Tamara Nemiroski, a uh, local documentary filmmaker and a adjunct professor at the University of South Florida in the Judy Ginshaft Honors College. Who is from? Argentina. There you go. Let's hear it for Argentina. So how does she feel about Messi being in Miami? I'm just asking. you're not supposed to cry I'm horrific. No, not at all. How does she feel about that? I think every Argentine in the state of Florida is, is through the mm, through the Maximus. excited about Maximus, that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I know I am. I can tell you, watching the World Cup in my house, in the in the very end, I I had to leave the room. I I swore I was going to have a heart attack. And I'm not even Argentine by blood, but just just being so close to the community all these years, it it was such a moment. And Messi, I mean, really, he's the goat. Yeah, he's that guy. Something about that left foot, huh? Something about that, uh, the way he can just navigate the game and, uh, and ultimately know just when to burst 
and and he doesn't miss. That goal he hit from the other day you was saw it? like, yeah. You saw was, it? He was outside he, the box. He, he took that shot from like Broward what kind County. Of a, what kind of an angle was that? that yeah, was, yeah, if you haven't seen it, look that up. It's pretty It's pretty you impressive. Know, I remember when Pele played the Rowdies. Do you, Do you remember? remember sure, of course. And I, I feel like we have this opportunity again to see a greatness in the state of Florida, except now we can see them more often. That's right. That's right. And, well, we won't talk about how much. We hope that he's donating some of them, some of his proceeds, some of his salary back to some charitable causes because he is making quite uh, a handsome uh, salary. But, uh, you know, I think David Beckham knows what he's doing in bringing him here. And, and it's all about promoting the sport, ultimately, at the end of the day. Do your, do your boys play? Uh, they do, and I, I'll play a pickup game with them on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe, unfortunately, that they will ever reach levels of messy, but uh, they do play and it's good. Nobody will. No, no, you yeah. don't think your kids will get like the balloon door? <laughs> yeah. All right. No, not, not anytime soon. Let's be, let's be completely and totally honest. If you'd like to join our conversation, give us a call. 813-239-9663. I'm sitting here waiting for your email as well. DJ at WMNF.org. You also have a venture. We're looking at this beautiful book here, coffee table book that you know, I tease you. I, you could you could probably chalk the wheels of a seven twenty seven with this. It's just massive, and it's but it's gorgeous. The pictures inside. Tell us a little bit about this best of Tampa Bay. So, so five or six years ago, I helped Global Village, uh, mostly making introductions as they published the best of Tampa Bay Volume One, which many of the listeners may have seen around town. It's a uh, very big, as Mario described, a white book that features a lot of the individuals and organizations that make Tampa Bay special. Well, this time around, I'm actually co-publishing volume two, and I really want to do a good job telling Tampa's story. Uh, Having been a native of Tampa, I feel like there's a lot of Alessi Bakeries, Cacciatore and Sons. organizations that a lot of people are not familiar with that really make up the fabric of Tampa. Uh, We're a very diverse community uh, with a very rich history, and I want to make sure that the full story is told. Listen, please don't blow them up, though, because like if if it takes me an additional 15 minutes to get my chicken marsala, I'm going to be like... That's Very a problem. Upset. That's a problem. Like I don't, I don't need to go to Catchatorian Sons and see a whole bunch of people in like khakis and boat shoes. <laughs> uh, I'll do my best to somehow shine a light on them and not, uh, not make you wait too long. Do for you have candidates? Pong. Do you have an outline? Do you have candidates for this particular second edition that you're promoting now? Or are you collecting stories? I know that you've approached me, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm honored, I, actually, to be uh, contributing to it. Um, what what can we do? Is, is do you have an email address that you can give us if people have ideas for contributions to the best of Tampa Bay? Uh, that's a very good suggestion, Mario. We've been collecting stories uh, for better part of this year, and uh, you know, if listeners feel like there's someone they absolutely think needs to be in there, uh, they can email me at president at absolutemarketingsolutions.com. dot com, and we'll definitely put it into consideration. We we definitely want to hear from the community. Because this is their book, after all. No, and it's it weighs a good five pounds, and the, like I said, the, the the pictures are stunning. It's probably I'm going to tell you right now, not probably it is this edition, three hundred and thirty one pages. So there's plenty of room in there to tell our story. Let's talk a little bit about um, what you think might be coming around the next corner, Alfred. You said you you know reading the tea leaves is an important 
uh, facet of your work at Absolute Marketing, and you, you need to have your antenna up always. What, uh, what do you see for our fair city as we continue to grow and change? There's, there's no doubt that we've been growing at a, at a tremendous clip. And I, I believe that I'm, I'm sitting here with two more, more of the conservative, not politically, but conservative as into Tampa traditions and Tampa history, whether it's, you know, making sure they don't wait too long for a chicken parm or, uh, you know, certain aspects of uh, what makes Tampa Tampa. But I... One thing remarking that I learned is you, you, you have to read the, the trends and not try and buck them because they're going to come whether you like it or not. And we are a growing city. So I think that we're going to have to spend more time on figuring out how to simultaneously accept this growth, accept all these newcomers who don't know to eat scachata at birthday parties, and uh, at the same time, share these traditions and keep them alive. I do believe that over the last couple of decades, we have lost a lot of our architecture, um, our, mm-hmm. our organizations, our restaurants, whether it was Castaways or long before that, Los Novedades, the Colonnade, Seabreeze, Tropicana. You know, it seems these days, every month or so, I hear of another very old restaurant. We just lost Dats. Well, um, Boneyard. Boneyard. The restaurant uh, that was in South uh, South Tampa somewhere, I think, on South McDill. It had been known there by, for 40 years. The Thai restaurant. The Thai restaurant. That's, Kevin, help me out. I can't remember the name there either. There you go. Somebody's shouting at the radio right now. And if you know it, please call us and, and send us a text and let us know. But, yeah, so to your point, a li- the, what, what makes the fabric of Tampa and its history so unique and so special to so many of us is starting to kind of dissolve in real time. So it's funny you say this because, like, I've been having this conversation with everybody, and I guess I'll put this to the group and to the audience at large. So a buddy of mine, uh, shout out Eric if you're listening, I think he's fourth or fifth generation. He was wondering if the Miamification of Tampa has already happened and we're sort of looking at the rear, we're looking in the rearview mirror at it, or is it actively happening and it's either too late to stop or we maybe can control it? And like, I've had, I've put this question to a number of people and I get varying answers, but like, I think that's sort of at the heart of what so many people who love this city are thinking is like, the city is changing. We're losing a lot of these like iconic places that are part of what we consider the fabric of the city. Sometimes that, you know, that always happens. Change always happens. But is it for the better, I guess, is an open-ended question I would put to the, to the audience writ large. I'm going to let Alfred take the first whack at this because I've got, I've got my opinions as well. Um, I guess it really depends on what you value. Uh, I, I always feel suspect of terms like Miamification. Uh, you know, Mark Twain That's famously an incredible said, term. Uh, Mark Twain famously said, "History does it actually repeat, but it, it does sometimes rhymes." And I, I feel like if we look at Miami, which has a very interesting history uh, to study. You can't really say that's exactly what's happening here, um, but there are changes here, and I think if we we look outside to try and find parallels, we may may be doing ourselves a disservice. Whereas if we looked at okay, we are going to continue to grow in population, we're going to need more housing, we're going to need better transportation, which obviously is something most of us can agree on. Uh, how do we do that, and at the same time keep some of the the old legacy buildings? And that's a constant battle, developers versus, you know, historians and conservationists. Preservationists. Uh, mm-hmm. Preservationists. And 
what the answer is to solve that, I don't know. There's smarter people than me fighting for that. Um, but I feel like this influx of people is not going to stop. And they're not, you know, the younger people are not wanting to live in Riverview and Brandon and Valrico and the, the suburbs. Why would they? Ruskin and Waimama, despite the fact that a lot of resources are being spent down in that part of the county because, you know, new schools are having to be built and, and um, infrastructure is having to go in place as the uh, population continues to morph and grow in that area. I'll, I'll say this about uh, our history and preservation and the Miamification. Miamification. I know. You're welcome. I am going to be saying that now. You're thinking welcome. about okay. that for a minute, you know, Jason. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sharer. I'm a giver. I'm, I will say this. It is happening in real time. I don't think we're in the rearview mirror yet, but it's like anything else. It's like what we talk about with the governor. It's like what we talk about, you know, on a national scene with, with everything that's going on. You're, and if you're in the maelstrom and you're in the middle of the tornado, the hurricane, you, you can't see anything because it's, you're just in the fog. And, and that's where we are presently. I think that. And here we go getting a little bit down and dirty. I, I, you know, Dampeños in our history, our rich history, we came here 1888, 1895 with Mr. Ebor and, and everything that was good at that time, right? And Henry Plant, we praise him because he's, he's one of our founding fathers. He doesn't get here with the railroad. We don't exist. <clears throat> it, we don't have any of the angst. We don't have any of the political tumult in our spirit that the, that those generations that left Cuba to go to Miami to make Miami Miami Miamified uh, and and bring all of that here. Now you've got new generations of people coming from other countries that are oppressed as well, Venezuela, and uh, and the same. This you're revisiting that whole idea again. I personally think that we, those of us that have been here for generations, tampeños of a certain age, we need to fight, and we need to fight like hell to be able to make sure that we don't lose that special quality about us. And we need to tell the new people getting here, hey, this ain't Miami. This ain't Miami. Despite what you might think, this is not Miami. Miami is its own creature a little further south. As that starts to move north, we, we you know, I, I saw this experiment one time, Jason, this is a good one. Uh, presenter was making a, a point. He had a glass of Coca-Cola in one hand and a glass of water in another both full, and he took the glass of water and he poured it into the Coke and, you know, made a mess of the floor. He didn't obviously care too much about it. <laughs> but the point he made was after a period of time, he displaced all of the Coke with the water and and the Coke is now, was the, did the Coke ever exist? Did that tree ever fall in the woods? So we have a responsibility, those of us that have been here for a hot minute, to make sure that we separate ourselves from that whole Cuban exodus 1960s situation because... I don't know about anybody else listening, but I, I personally, there is a distinct vibe between Miami and Tampa. And we're not Miami, and we should never try to be. Jace? I mean, I agree. I think part of the problem is you look at Bayshore, and you look at downtown, and you see how we have become a city that is becoming increasingly less accessible to the middle class. And that middle class blue collar attitude is what built this city. It was cigar factory workers and blue collar people that made Tampa, I think, distinctly different from a far glitzier, glamier Miami that was sort of built on retirees and people, you know, trying to chase, you know, chase a quick buck. We're a different kind of town. And I worry that we're losing not just that aesthetic, but that cultural feel, and that eventually we're just going to become another every town Florida that just happens to have a you know our own take on the Cuban sandwich. I guess like 
And it worries me. Like, you know, I, I don't want us to you. become a destination between the, 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 uh, the mouse and the beach. We're more than that. And you get it. And that's a person that wasn't necessarily born or raised here in his formative years, but he gets it. He's been here long enough to know that of where he speaks. And that, that goes to the politics as well. Because, you know, we, we have that harangue back and forth, Alfred. We have that harangue, you know, the old guard, you know, the old guard, and, and, but the new, and, and the old guard doesn't want to give up. Charlie uh, Miranda. Well, that's one. And let's, uh, let's ring it for Charlie. Bless you, Charlie. We, we love you. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, we have that tug of war constantly. But the historians and the preservationists will always be here until the, until the last bell rings, figuratively and literally, to, to make sure that, we hold all of those things to be truthful. And as long as the Mutual Aid Society buildings are still in place and we can still go there and visit there and frequent there, I think we're going to be okay. But, man, the waters are getting deep and fast. My, my own office is in a uh, building, uh, the Scottish Rights Building downtown that was built uh, by Leo Elliott. And uh, I think it was 100 years ago this year that it, it first opened. And... You know, I love being surrounded by that history. Yeah. There's so little of it left. Those um, bricks, if those bricks could talk, man. What a lot of people don't know, you do know, Mario, is I, for decades, have collected artifacts, mostly of restaurants, of Tampa's past. Oh, uh, matchbooks, menus, menus. Matchbooks, postcards, uh, whatever you can think of. In fact, yesterday I got the uh, Tampa Terrace Hotel 1942 menu and uh, a postcard of the same, same That's year. That's so cool. Um, and whenever I get one of these menus, I go online, I go to newspapers.com and I dig up as much history as I can. And it's, you know, it's a shame that we've lost these buildings. They, they were beautiful, rich buildings that, you know, at the time they were one of the first sky rises, for example, and we're losing them fast. And the ones we have, you, you ask about rear view mirror, I think as long as we have buildings, we should protect them. Yes. And as sad as it is, we've lost some. We can't say, oh, we lost those. War's over. We lost. And once you I knock mean, them down, you don't get them back. And it sure looks like we're losing the Jackson house, like one panel of wood at a time. I mean, like it's an abject disgrace to see that thing sit the way. It's uh, distressing. Cab Calloway. Uh, I mean, Ella Fitzgerald. I, I mean, a number James of James Brown. Like people that came through that place, for it to sit the way it is, it's just an abject tragedy. I, I drive by it every day. Yeah. It's it's on my way uh, to Ybor City or wherever I may be going from downtown, and I, I feel the same way about it. I would love to see it restored. The few people who are in the know that I've spoken to about it mention that it's it's such a complex and expensive process, and we just need to drive that, that, that will behind it to make it seem yeah. less expensive. If there's a silver lining in that cloud, I think that the good news is I think the University of South Florida came out a couple of years ago, and with modern technology being what it is, they were able to actually uh, photograph and 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 survey uh, all of the building down to a, you know tenth of an inch. That if they needed to, if they needed to, and it looks like if we have one strong storm come through here with mm -hmm. any significant wind, down like dominoes, and those boards are going to be flying all over, and and you know be it's perilous situation. They could rebuild it. 
They could rebuild it exactly as it was. It not with the same wood and the same boards, but they could rebuild it so that it looks exactly the same. Yeah. And I think at this point, that's about the only thing. Yeah, I mean, having spoken to some friends on our city council, I mean, that's the sense that I get. I mean, I'll say shout out to uh, Councilman Carlson, who's an old friend with a complicated history. Who's yes, been working very, very, very hard to try to work on that building and preserve it to his enormous credit. Because I mean, this is the last remaining landmark of the real old Central Park, the, the uh, thriving black community that was right in the heart of the city. Central Avenue. And it's like a manifestation of like a continued disrespect. I mean, like to just think that it sits there in the sad, sorry state that it does when it should be so much more like a museum to Tampa's cultural history. It's really, it's 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 unabashedly tragic. And for those that, you know, are, are listening to us in, in Lakeland or in St. Petersburg or Sarasota, because we go seven counties wide, if you're wondering what this Jackson building is all about, it's a historical building, certainly. And where it's located is right across from the terminus at uh, Union Station, right? So, you, you know, you, you, you take that, uh, that, that silver bullet and you, and you come down here from New York or, or from parts up in the mid-Atlantic states and you come to Tampa, that's, that's where the train will deposit you at the, uh, right there on Central Avenue and, and the beginning of, of downtown, the downtown corridor to the south. And if you go just a little bit to the north and east is what used to be Ebor City and what still is Ebor City, certainly. And so much of our family's histories and Tampa's history is centered around Union Station. And that building, the Jackson House, is directly across the street. So to your point, Jace, yeah, it's... It breaks. It's we gotta do more. I mean, we gotta do more. Like, I mean, I know there's been some complications with seven one seven parking and the Accardi brothers and SPP and the city who are all sort of trying to working today. But like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to. If it falls down, we're going to rebuild it. If you like, that place is worthy of being. I think that's what they're waiting for. And the citizens of Tampa are willing to stand up for that place. I mean, I really feel that way. In just with just a few minutes to go, if you're just joining us, we've had a fascinating conversation today with our friend Alfred Goldberg. You're listening to Down and Dirty with Mario. Nunez and John Dinkfelder, Jason Marlowe at the at the controls, uh, our engineer, and this is WMNF 88.5 Community Radio. We do have one caller who's going to get in here just in time. Yeah. Caller, you're on the air. Tell us where you're calling from and what you'd like to talk about. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I'm calling from Tampa, and I just tuned in. And I heard about the Jackson House. Well, I'm trying to think now, realistically. If I was in New York, Pennsylvania, or somewhere outside of this state here, what would interest me in spending money to come down here and look at a room or look at a home or something that people played in or performed in in the 50s or 60s or whenever? What, what what I'm trying to say is I, I don't think there's a big interest in people from around the country, African-Americans. I, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm saying what would interest me in coming down to see somewhere where James Brown or Aretha walked in and maybe performed or slept in the room or me just walk through there and spend money to walk through there and just just to see it. I, I wouldn't get anything from that. Being I'm, being from a different generation, I'm, I'm way removed from that. I'm, I'm trying to think, why would I take my kids or my grandkids to see that? I, I, I'm not poo-pooing on this. I'm just I'm just maybe seeing it from a different angle. And, and another thing I want to just say, the NAACP, which represents the African Americans or people of color, however you want to say it, in this country, 
I just think it's sad that they're not able to step up and do the things that maybe you guys are talking about doing, replicating it, uh, you know, not from the same wood or being identical. But if they, it was so, such a big interest in it and they wanted to, you know, keep this Central Avenue and I just think we got to move on from certain things. And it's just not it's just not black or African-American things. I just think a lot of things in this that we just got to just move on and just I, your like point. Your point is taken, Ernest. We, we've got one more caller and we're up okay, against the you. clock. But listen, I'll, I'll I'll take you off and we'll finish our commentary off the air. OK, I, oh, I'd appreciate that. Absolutely. So thank you for your call. You know, so I, I just I want to subscribe to the thought that people don't know what they don't know. And unless you let them know that it's an important place or person or or history, they're not going to know. Alfred, you have a, a Growing thought? up in Tampa, the whole Central Avenue and the, the thriving black community, I didn't know about that. And I feel in the last couple years, there's been so much uncovered yeah. about not just in Tampa, but around the country of strong black communities that we weren't taught in schools. And, you know, in Florida, maybe we won't be ever in the future. Yeah. Um, So not just for African-Americans, I think for everyone, this is a way not just to learn about the Jackson House, but about the entire community that is no longer there. The Jackson House is the last remaining piece of that community. And I think it's it's also sort of teaching the legacy of segregation and how it harmed these communities and like letting people know how we can, you know, if you don't teach history, you repeat its mistakes. I think making sure we're not treating groups of people as though they're second class citizens is a valuable lesson for people to reflect on. I was in the commission meetings over the debates to remember move the Confederate statue in front of the, uh, the the courthouse. And during the course of the debates, I learned a lot. And then I did further research. And there is a lot to be said that uh, if that did not happen, we I would not know. And I think many others would not as well. Well, I, I just wanted to say maybe we should have started the conversation with the Jackson House because it, it certainly hit a nerve. And yeah. we got two or three callers right there at the very end of the show. And we just want to say thank you, thank you one and all for listening today. We always appreciate your input, and we would not be here if not for the fact that you guys are listening and keep spurring the conversation on. Yeah, that's if only we, we had more time for, for more calls. I'm sorry, folks. No, that's, that's quite all right, because we're going to be here again next Friday that at 10 a.m. down in Dirty. Alfred, any closing thoughts real quick before we go? Uh, keep Dampeños, Dampeño. Keep Dampeños, Dampeño. We're going to keep moving forward. Next time, Alfred, you're here, maybe we'll take up the conversation about the city of Tampa flag, which is another real important an kind eyesore. of eyesore. Yeah, real important kind of a, a, an iconic image that we need to fix. Because Iconically bad. if you're going to be a great city, you deserve a great flag. Here, here. Let me say thank you, sir. Let me say on behalf of my broadcast partner, John Dinkfelder, we're missing you today. We're thinking about you. Our, Truly. Enge- our engineer producer, Jason Marlowe. Here, here. Today's phone screener, uh, playing the part of Lynn Marvin Dinkfelder, was Irene. Irene, thank you. I'm Mario Nunez wishing you salute and happy days. We'll be on the lookout for you next week. Stay tuned now for The Skinny with Ray Roa, Ben Montgomery, and Mitch Perry. Have a great weekend, everybody.